Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the CEO Story brought to you by Together CFO. So thank you so much, Together CFO, for the sponsorship of the podcast. And if you're looking to reduce your taxable income to single digits or eliminate capital gains, you can check out Together CFO by hitting the link below. But for now, I'd like to introduce our main guest, which is James Slosser. He is the founder of Kukoma. Kukoma. And that's a Web3 development services company and also specializes in cryptocurrency coaching. Sorry for butchering the name, James, but how are you doing? No worries. I'm well, thank you. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Fantastic. So why don't we just start by giving a quick introduction about yourself and Kurkuma, and then we can dig into your CEO journey. Sure. So Kurkuma was founded by me maybe five years ago, I want to say. And... I um, wanted to have a software development company that would allow me to basically just code um, wherever in the world I happen to be. Um, so we offer Web3 and iOS software development services. I also offer cryptocurrency coaching trading training, or I'm an educator in that space. And then I still will do some occasional marketing and operations consulting that sort of falls into my lap from earlier in my career. But primary focus of Kurkuma is Web3 software development. Fantastic. So for the people who don't know what that is, can you ah. give us a quick description of what Web3 means in tangible English? Absolutely. So Web3 is sort of the new term and the latest iteration of what's going on in the internet. If you'll think back to like Web1 was probably in, around the dot-com area when Amazon and all the other things very first started. Um, Web2 is kind of when e-commerce came into the play and some other developments happened. But all of the, all of the stuff that you're doing on the internet today, primarily, um, all of that data is owned by the company who's providing that service. All of your Facebook data is owned by Facebook. All of your Twitter data is owned by Twitter. And Web3 is all about decentralizing all of that. And so it's a very new field, but it's a very exciting field. It feels, because I've been around a while, it feels very much like the original dot-com uh, dot era. And it's a very exciting time for me. And that's why I'm in that area today. Fantastic. So if I'm understanding it correctly, is Web 3.0 similar to what Bitcoin is doing for currency and decentralizing currency? Is Web 3.0 doing the same with information against the corporate giants that control the masses of information that's out there? Right. I mean, the, the, we won't go too deep today. There's opportunities for these large corporate giants to use blockchain technology to help their businesses. But the ethos of Web 3 is really decentralizing that data and allowing you to own that data and to, to determine where to use it. Perfect. Now that's that makes a lot of sense, and and it really helps because you know in the news recently there's been things like Cambridge Analytica that have got this vast amount of data on us, build these avatars, and then just pump us with information, whether that's true information, false information, or anything in between, that then serves their agenda rather than helps us as individuals. Well, sure, they're selling the data and they're earning the revenue. You don't get anything from that. So let's change that. So let's rewind a little bit. You you are very seasoned and very experienced in, in many things, but you didn't become that overnight. So why don't we wind back the years and share a little bit about how it all started for you? And, and then originally in accounting, I believe, right? 
Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so in a nutshell, um, born and raised a finance guy, went to school for finance and business management. Originally, many moons ago, thought I wanted to be a Wall, a Wall Street stockbroker. Um, but anyhow, um, got my degree in finance, worked in finance for the first third of my career, if you will. Um, shifted into e-commerce and operations when e-commerce was a brand new thing and really enjoyed that phase of it. And then the last third of my career has probably been, it has been in marketing. I shifted again and went into marketing, um, which was interesting because that's not what I was, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have a degree in that, but I, you, I learned a lot about marketing and sort of just, I landed there through my experience. Um, I've had C-level jobs in, I've been a chief marketing officer. I've been a chief operating officer at some, some technology companies and some smaller startups. I've done my own startups in the past that didn't do particularly well, but I loved the experience. And then in 2017, I was living in Hong Kong at the time, and I knew that I thought I was going to retire in a couple of years. Um, but I had also always wanted to learn how to code. It was kind of the one thing that I didn't know how to do. I knew that six-year-olds were having coding in their curriculums in schools, and I was like, okay, if they can do it, I can probably do it. So took me a while, self-taught iOS, built some iOS apps and did that for five years. Really, really what enjoyed it. What was the driver? Because there's many different things going on here. There's a lot of right brain, left brain activities. And to go from a finance guy into marketing or e-commerce is a big shift initially, right? Because that's completely different to everything that you'd been taught previously. And for people that are stuck there or trying to pivot into a different industry, what was going on at that point in time that made you shift? And then how did you execute that shift? So to shift from finance into e-commerce, that literally fell into my lap. I was working for a, a large company in New York City at the time in a purely financial role. And this e-commerce opportunity came up. They approached me and I explained in the interview that I didn't know about that side of it. And they said, look, we're really like that you've got the numbers background. We think you're going to be able to learn the other piece of it. And so, and I'm extremely curious and I always want to continue learning. And I was very, I've always been a tech nerd and I was very excited about where the internet could go because it was so, so new at that time. Um, and so I had done e-commerce, I, I guess I had done e-commerce um, at the, at the, kind of in my finance role, we, we were doing e-commerce services. So I knew enough to talk about it, um, but I was offered the role in e-commerce. It was sort of a direct to consumer role for an online retailer that had physical stores, catalog business and website. And so I was hired to- Let me break that down a little bit then, Jay. Yeah. So what I'm, what I'm hearing is you had some vertical involvement in that industry and a really Correct. good skill set. So the skill set was one of being able to understand numbers, being curious and problem solving, really. And then the employers saw that in you, that you had these really good qualities and that it would be a really easy transition or a relatively easy transition into learning this one other piece that matched up to your skill set to get to that end outcome. Does that sound right? Correct. Correct, correct. So, so I think for the people listening, a lot has to be said about that is looking at what type of qualities that you have as an individual, what are you good at, what are you capable of, where can you get results, 
And then if there's a vertical, it's similar enough to that or adjacent enough that you could add that to yourself to help then open up more opportunities. I think that's the way I would break it down. Got it. Yes. Okay. Makes sense. So continue on. So then from e-commerce, you went into more of the web iOS programming. No, from 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 e-commerce, I went into the marketing world. Marketing, okay. And that specifically happened because um, someone that I had known previously in my career had changed jobs, and they contacted me and wanted me to kind of take this role on. And when I was interviewing for the role, I very quickly realized that it was a sales and marketing role. And that was one skill that I did not have ticked off in the box in my career. And I, I had a, a drive and a desire to increase my level of responsibility wherever I was. And I knew that I needed to, uh, I needed to add that in order to be a well-rounded executive. Um, the sales aspect of it absolutely terrified me at first, but I knew I needed to be able to do it. So I sort of bit the bullet and jumped in and thankfully it worked out. No, that's really important to know because, you know, I'm a finance guy, my background's in accountancy. And when I started my own company, I had the same thing. I was really scared. Hey, how do I learn sales and marketing? I like, I'm good at crunching numbers. And I can analyze trends, but speaking to someone and then we're super high ticket as well. So it's not just to sell a thousand or a $10,000 product, but to sell hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of one product or service is it's very different. So how did you one back yourself? Because that's a big step, right? You're taking a big position on going into the unknown. And I, one thing I'm, picking up from your conversation is that you've always had this curiosity and this willingness to learn and improve and get better. So where do you think Correct. that comes from? Because I think that's a really key, important trait that's followed you around. I don't know that I can put my finger on it, but I've always been curious. And to this day, I'm curious. I think I'm always going to be curious. It's a really, really good trait to have because it, it it feeds into constant improvement and getting better every single day because you're just curious and you're like, Oh, what about this? And what about this? And it just connects yeah. all the dots. So let's go back to the sales role. Then how did you go about excelling in that new environment and learning that new skill and learning it quickly? So I guess I was exposed to some very brief training, like any new person is when they enter a new role, but I really relied on, my network of people that were in those types of roles. I asked, I asked for help. That's consistent throughout my career is, you know, when, when I have a problem in general, when I have a problem that I cannot solve, I will try, fail, get mad, maybe feel sorry for myself for a day and then try again. And if I still can't solve it, I will ask for help. So, it says it all, right? I think all great people realize when they need help, you you know what you know, and you also know what you don't know. And that's where network comes in, mentorship comes in, and just generally being able to put your hand up, put your ego to one side, and just mm -hmm. say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Has anyone been through it? Or can anyone help guide me? Not that you necessarily have to take all of the guidance, but if you take one or two nuggets from each person that you're asked, you'll definitely have a much more robust solution at the end of it. Yeah, I agree, 100%. So let's talk about network then, because 
that kind of pivots us into how did you build a good network around you or a support team around you that when you needed help and support, you could reach out to them and get really good advice to help excel your career? So I spend a significant amount of my time maintaining my network. And what I mean by that, building and maintaining my network. And what I mean by that is way early in my career. And, I, and again, I think someone recommended that I do this. A men, uh, like a, a supervisor or a boss or someone I respected at the time told me to do this. And so I did it. And whenever I went to any industry function or any business meeting or anything, I would gather um, not a million business cards, but business cards from the people that I actually had some interaction with, who I shook their hand or looked them in the eye or something like that. And then I always followed up with them. I would send them an email the next day. I would, you know, whenever LinkedIn was around, I would connect with them on LinkedIn. And I didn't, typically I didn't have anything to specific to ask of them. I didn't have a need. It was just to establish a relationship. Then, and I don't do this for every person because there's not enough hours in the day, but if possible, I would have a face-to-face -face meeting or a coffee or a lunch or whatever. And just get to know them a little bit, get to know a little bit about these people. Um, I would keep brief, brief notes on that so I could remember. Um, and then I would follow up with them periodically, maybe every six months, maybe once a year, maybe more frequently, depending on the relationship, but just to touch base and say, hey, where are you? What's new with you? Here's what I've been up to. And what I have found after building that network over time, and it takes time, obviously, but the network has served me better than I could ever possibly imagine. So when I had, when I, so back to earlier, when I needed help, I would ask for help and a ton of people would come back and help me. And I was shocked the first time it happened. I couldn't believe people were willing to do that, but they were. Um, and I similarly give back as much as I can. So a few things that are really good points there. One is, to be in an environment to meet new people. Because if you didn't go to any of those events or shake people's hands, you wouldn't have been in the room to then be able to follow up. But once you're going to these events and you're meeting people, is to actually have a conversation with them. So if I've been in the room and just been in one corner, looking at the corner, you've got to be interacting with people. You've got to connect with them. Not everybody, obviously, you're not going to remember everybody, but just take enough cards and then, I think the key, another key point is the follow-up is shooting them an email, being of service or being of value and not wanting something from them straight away, but just really getting to know who they are and what they do and being genuine about it, not kind of having an ulterior motive. I think people see through that very quickly. And then yeah. you're really smart. You said you took notes, right? Because you're not going to remember this random person from six months ago that you only met at one event or for a lunch. So having good notes so that you've got something to reference back to and then ultimately making a database of, hey, I met Peter. He was in web development. He could be a good resource. We could partner or we could cross-refer. And then when the question comes up and you need help in that area, you've got it cataloged or indexed in a way that can help you reach out to the right network and kind of keep cultivating that, like you said, on a on a monthly or quarterly basis if it's just a quick text or an email but just letting them know that you're around and that you're there really that you're not forgotten right because i would say like the bulk of my network 
would call me and say, hey, do you know someone who can do X? Or what do you know about this company? Or what do you know about whatever? And I didn't know anything about it, but I knew somebody that did it. And I would say, look, Joe, here's Mary, go have a, and I would introduce the two of them. Joe, here's Mary, Mary, here's Joe, talk to each other, figure it out. And that's really, really powerful. So one of the groups that I'm part of is Entrepreneurs Organization. And they do a great job of that in terms of there's so many members in the community, in the local chapter, but then also nationally and then also internationally. So you can reach out to someone if you want them local or or the other side of the world that's got some form of expertise in what you're looking for. And it's kind of a fraternity for adults is the way I I see it. So it's, it's really good, strong network. And there's plenty of other networks out there that do similar things. So definitely recommend looking at researching what would be a good fit for for you listeners out there and I'm going to join one of them and see how that can help you. So James, let's transition into now starting your own company and working for yourself and making that transition from being a high paid corporate executive to working solely for yourself. How was that transition and how did all that come about? Sure. Um, So I have enough gray in my beard to tell the world that I've been around the block enough. But in the, I wanna say in the early 2000s in the US, there was a fairly big recession at the time and everybody got laid off. Everybody that I knew got laid off and the people that had their jobs were clinging to them for dear life. And I couldn't get a job to save my life. I interviewed like a madman, I networked like a madman and I probably went a year without working and I was freaked out. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Um, and then during that time, periodically, I would have people come to me and say, hey, why don't you do this consulting gig for me? And I had zero interest in doing consulting work. I had the history and the comfort of a big corporate paycheck and big corporate benefits. And that's what I knew. And that's where I was comfortable. And I didn't want to do anything else. But then after enough time passed and I couldn't find a full-time job, ironically, I had five different people contact me within a two-week period and said, will you do this contract work for me? And I thought, you know what? Maybe the universe is trying to tell me something, so let's give it a shot. I set up my first LLC. I had enough work from these five jobs to last about six months. And I thought that's going to give me enough time to see if I enjoy this or not. If I do, I'll do more biz dev and grow the consulting business. If I don't, I'll go back into a corporate gig and we'll see what happens. Um, And so that's how my first consultancy was born. And it was interesting and fun and hard, um, but that's where it started. That's fantastic. And then how did it evolve from there? So that then was the first five that kind of got the ball rolling. After, let's say, the six-month mark, were you instantly in love with having that flexibility and freedom of working for yourself or were you still? No, I hated it. Regular I hated how did it for, yeah. How did it go? I really disliked looking for new work, but luckily the network that I'm so fondly speaking of really served me well and people would throw me jobs here and there. Um, but the real answer is after about, I can't remember the full timing, but I think after about a year of doing that full time, Um, I was married at the time, my first marriage, and my husband came in and said, hey, I have an opportunity to work overseas. Do you want to go? I'm like, sure. And so we moved overseas. Um, I kind of put the consulting gig on hold. I I continued to wrap up the work that I had. 
but my network through LinkedIn allowed me to land a job overseas without ever even having been there. And that turned into one of my CMO jobs, interestingly enough. That's crazy. Just like go with the punches. I love how you're a very free spirit in that regard where you're willing and able to step up or into a different industry or avenue or angle and just kind of roll with it. What are some of the ways you've managed to deal with those changes? Because there's been a lot of them, whether that's changing industry, changing profession, changing location. And then again, recently you moved again uh, over to San Diego. But how do you deal with or cope with, with all of those changes and adapt? I think a lot of that just depends on your own individual personality. And I probably couldn't have predicted it before I actually had to do it. But for me, because I've traveled extensively and I've moved extensively, I love it. I love wherever I go. Everybody always asks me, what's the favorite place you've ever lived in the world? And I can't name one because whenever I go anywhere, I know I'm there for a limited time. I really make an effort to know the local people, to appreciate the local environment that I'm in, the culture of it at that time, because that's never going to change. I mean, that's going to change. Um, And just enjoy wherever I am as much as I can for the time that I'm going to be there, because one day I'm not going to be there. And so I want to be able to look back fondly. Yeah, I like that. It's kind of being present in the moment and making the most of each situation as it presents itself rather than being too close-minded or too rigid. So as we look to wrap up, how can people reach out to you or get in contact with you? Best way to contact me is on Twitter. You can reach my company, Curcuma, at, at Curcuma Co, K-U-R-K-U-M-A-C-O, or my personal is at J Slusser, J-S-L-U-S-S-E-R, Either one works fine. Got it. And we'll put the links just below there so that everyone can get an easy time visiting your website, learning a little bit more about Web 3.0 and crypto trading. So, James, thank you so much for being a guest um, and sharing your story. Thank you so much.